You know, it's funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine, the, the, one of the ushers here, uh, the first, first service, you know, and I said to him, how you doing, Dave? He goes, I'm great. Pain has just relocated. That's it. <laughs> and I thought, boy, that is so, that's it. You get up to a certain age, you're just blessed that the pain's relocated. Well, that's my foot now. So, uh, yeah, torn ligaments or something, man. You know, I thought it was going to be cool if I got into the martial arts, but now, now I'm paying for it, you know. So the, you know, the doctors look at these x-rays and they go, what on earth did you do to yourself? So, praise the Lord. I, I, they tell me I've got to wear this stupid thing for six weeks, so. Yeah, oh, thanks. That makes me feel better. <laughs> All the other guys are going, suck it up, huh? So, anyway. What a glorious, glorious privilege to be here with you guys today. Listen, my wife asked me just to make a quick reminder. Uh, applications for the choir out during uh, the month of January. So if that's something you're praying about and consider, just fill it out, throw it in the agape box, and we'll make sure she gets that app. Uh, we are, again, just following Jesus along with his life and ministry. We are, at, again, in Matthew chapter 17... Matthew 17, if you'll turn there, the address is verse 14, 17, 14. <clears throat> Something while you're turning there, I want to draw your attention to, um, and I think, can you throw that slide up of the memory verse? Uh, what I want to do uh, for this year, 2019, it's challenge all of us, one memory verse a week. And what I want to do with everyone, including myself, is to memorize the Roman road. That'll take us six weeks. A lot of you know the verses. A lot of you might be able to say the first couple of them, you know, from memory. Where, this is where I find it tricky, though. Sometimes we just don't know the address of it. And so what we're going to do for the next six weeks is go over the Romans road. And why am, why am I doing that? Well, I just think it's important for you and I if we know um, how to lead someone to the Lord. And what I'm going to do is throw a question up there to kind of, you know, to um, make the memory verse uh, purposeful. The reason why we want to do it. Someone would come to you, well, I consider myself a good person. Won't that be enough? Now, how many of us has heard that excuse. I just hope my good outweighs my bad. Amen, guys? Well, the first time, you know, the first place you want to take them to, of course, is Romans chapter 3. Uh, two verses there, verses 10 and verse 23. There's none righteous, no, not one. So you want to put that to memory. But know where the verse is too, because a lot of times people will challenge you. Oh, it says that where? And you go, it's in the Bible. You know, now you can say, wow, it's Romans 3, verse 10. Verse 23 also says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you want to take it even a step further, you just fast forward to chapter 5 and just share that verse with them, just as through one man sin into the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. And then because all have sinned, you use that verse and, and just to try to show these people, no, it's not, you can't be good enough. There's no good people going to heaven. You know, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, my pop used to say, and I, I can't wait to see him again in heaven, but he used to say before he found Christ, well, I hope I'm good enough just to, to sweep the streets with Peter up there. I get that. There's no dirt in heaven, you know. So, um, Again, and we'll be doing this every week, but the challenge will be, and it's not going to be an open book test, is to, you know, put this to memory. Know exactly where it says it, and in case someone says to you, well, I think I'm good enough to get to heaven, you can say, nah, not according to the Bible. Amen, guys? So there's going to be six weeks of those, and it's probably the only week where there's three memory verses. Every other week, it's just going to be one verse. Okay, we find ourselves again, again, we're studying the life and the ministry of uh, Jesus, our Lord. And I think that's so important uh, that we get to know him more, especially today. The theme of the verse is faith. This section, it's faith, faith that can move mountains. And I'm going to explain that to you, what it really means to have faith where you're able to move mountains. Because it's, it doesn't mean you can you know, speak to the, the Poconos and have the ski resort move to your backyard. 
Um, but uh, it, does, it is meaningful and it's pur- purposeful. It's an imagery in, that we should have in our mind. So we'll deal with that. Starting with verse 14, follow along with me. And of course, we'll pray again over the text. It says, when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. That's just old king saying, moonstruck, that he appears to be insane. I just don't, old kings is sometimes difficult. And he is sore vexed, and oftentimes he he falleth into the fire and often into the water. I besought him to thy disciples, or I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and he said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and how long shall I suffer you or put up with you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very, that very hour. And then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Well, it's because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How bit this kind, this kind of a demon, goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And while they abode in Galilee, notice that Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. They shall kill him. The third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Please stand with me, Bible in hand. Let's pray over this text. Father, again, we do consider it a privilege just to be here to sing praises and to express our hearts to your heart. We love you. And now, Lord, we just continue in worship, but now it's the worship through your word. Father, I pray that as we begin this journey today, this Bible study, that your Holy Spirit would be our chief instructor, that he would pour everything he so desires into our hearts. And there would be nothing, God, that would hinder that. So whatever obstacles we might face, whatever mountains that might be before us, Lord, we lay at the cross. We just put it there, Father, knowing that you died for everything, God, our sins. You died for us. Please, Father, I just pray that your your word would be illuminated. Our minds and our hearts anointed by your spirit set apart to receive everything, God. Man, Lord, just don't allow anything to hinder that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Again, the, the text centers around a faith. And again, the imagery is a faith that moves mountains. And we will explain that because there's so many different teachings out there about faith. Faith is a very important subject to talk about. Um, uh, but I know there's a, uh, a lot of um, teaching out there uh, that's just not correct. And um, I don't think they're, all of them are, are hurtful. Not all of them are damaging, but some do. Some pervert our faith. Some warp our faith. Uh, and actually, it doesn't help. It hinders, if anything. You know, and just that lackadaisical um, idea that, well, they have faith. Well, don't just, just don't throw that up as a common thought. No, they just have faith. What kind of faith do they have? It's, that's very important. You know, Jesus even challenged that area of faith. You know, you say you believe, well, that's fine and nanny, but so does the devil. The devil has faith that Jesus exists. So, so just someone saying they have faith is not um, good enough as far as being in the will of God. There was a thing I, I kind of came across this week. I want to read it to you just so I don't miss the point. This isn't by a man, Dr. McCormick, he wrote an article, The Heart of Prayer. He tells of a woman whose daughter had died after a painful illness. And she came to her minister and said, well, I fear I have lost my faith in prayer. 
I used to believe that anything I asked for in the name of Christ, I would receive. When my child was sick, I just sought God with an agony of desire for her recovery. I believed that God would grant my prayer. And when she died, I was stunned, not merely because of my grief, but because it seemed to me that God had failed me. I pray still, but not the old faith in prayer. The old faith in prayer is gone. Now, this is Dr. McCormick. He says this, this good woman was the victim of wrong teaching. She had, she had in, a, in a word, been led to substitute faith in prayer for faith in God. For our prayer is, or our faith is prayer, is the utmost importance. And then any disappointment will shake any other disappointment will shake our faith but if faith in God is the great fact of life no matter what may be the outcome of our petition we will still trust and it's so true you know if we have faith in God not faith in prayer not faith even in a promise do you ever hear someone say you just need faith you know you just have to trust as if that is the cure that's the remedy Now, just on the onset, you would think, well, that's exactly what we need. We do. And I'm going to touch on that in this this teaching. But faith should not be the object of, uh, of, uh, or prayer should not be the object of our faith. A promise shouldn't be the object of our, our faith. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, of course, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. A very, very familiar verse to many of us. But let me interpret that for you. It is the confident assurance that something that we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is just waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. You might be given a promise and all your circumstances look totally opposite of what you were promised. You really can't see the end of it. You just see... Um, that maybe this promise isn't for you. That's what you think. But maybe it is for you. And the way you're looking at it is totally wrong. Make sense? We have in verse 15 that the Lord, um, let's start with verse 14. It says that when he had come down, uh, the multitude, uh, When they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, now when we compare the other gospels, and by the way, this account of this demon-possessed lad is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's just amazing to me how, you know, Luke will look at it and expand the, the story a little bit. But when you read Luke's account of it, he sees desperation. He sees sickness. He sees a, a desperate father. He kind of really broadens the picture, as it were, a little more for us. But, uh, but Mark's account, he, he says that this large group was also made up of religious leaders. And there was an argument going on between the disciples and between the scribes and the multitude that was there. This is how it reads in Mark 9. That's Mark's account of it. It says, when he came to his disciples, he saw, Jesus saw a great multitude about them and scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, running to him, saluted him. And then he asked, Jesus asked the scribes, what's going on here? My paraphrase, why are you questioning them? What's this argument about? And um, apparently there had been an effort made. We'll see that in Luke's account also. There was an effort made on the part of the disciples. The disciples apparently tried to help this dad out by laying hands on this young man, but nothing was done. Um, and the, I, I assume speculation is the, the, the Sadducees, scribes, we're asking, well, why are you so unsuccessful? I can't imagine why there would be any other discourse or any other argument other than the disciples just couldn't do it. So they're going, well, that's not what we have seen in the past. In the past we saw, and there was a history, 
Not just with the disciples, but even with the religious communities. In fact, the religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would just deliberately sit, set up a, a, a handicapped man just to see what Jesus would do. He, and, they, and it says in the word, and they knew he would heal him on the Sabbath. They had history. So I'm assuming here, because it doesn't come right out and say what the argument was about, but it was over how unsuccessful the disciples were. And they want to know why. So when Jesus came down, by the way, from the mountaintop, they, they came running towards him. Again, probably just carrying the same momentum, the same argument, and just, why? But there is also, you know, that, that thought, too, of they're coming down off the mountaintop and, uh, and again, questioning about the success Jesus said in verse 15, um, it wasn't the man, the father, pardon me, trying to gather my thoughts here. The, uh, the father came and said, have mercy on me. He is a lunatic. And again, please, it just means moonstruck. And back in their day when someone was mentally ill or handicapped, they always assumed that it was lunar, that it was something to do with the moon. Just some mystical kind of thing. None of that is true. And that's why they said he is a lunatic. Um, and he said he's sore vexed, extremely vexed with this condition. And oftentimes he, he's, he's uh, thrown into the fire is what Mark, Luke's gospel says. But here it says he falls into the fire. He'll fall into the water. There's two things happening here. There's a physical condition. And I do want to bring that to your attention apparently, and Luke really spells this out as well, there's epilepsy here. And um, there's a spiritual condition where the Holy Spirit makes it clear that there's also demonic activity in his life. Now, why I bring that to your attention is not everyone had ha that has epilepsy is demon-possessed. That is just nonsense, and I want to be very emphatic about that. It's somebody who has epilepsy and is on medication. God forbid anyone would say, well, have you ever thought about casting out a demon? That's crazy. But the Holy Spirit is making it clear. Listen, I had seizure, and I'm glad nobody came up and started rebuking demons out of me. My goodness. Yeah, I remember one time I was doing a wedding. I went into a seizure, and the miracle was I kept going. I never stopped it, and I was sitting there, I was in this stupor seizure thing, and found myself in the men's room, I didn't, don't know anything going on, I'm in, this, in the middle of this seizure, and there's a brother there just waiting for me to come out of it with a wet paper towel to wipe my head with, and I went, well, thank God he wasn't like, I command you to come out, that would have freaked me out, <laughs> you know, please, sickness is not always caused by Satan, that's just a dumb theology. But Satan will look for weakness in somebody's life. And a lot of times when we are ill, when we are struck with an illness, the enemy will look for the chink in the armor, as it were, just to hassle with somebody. Amen, guys? And so you've got to deal with it sometimes in both conditions. This is physical, but man, is the enemy toying with this thing? And in this case, he was. Okay. Uh, I remember there was a teaching that all sickness was caused by the by the devil. It was out in probably the latter part of the 70s. And um, there was a guys going around. Uh, Derek Prince was one of them. I don't mind name, dropping names. Um, but I thought everything was caused by demons. And so as young Christians, we're going around casting demons out of everything. And you know what? It's just life. You know, cancer is a part of life. And thank God we have him to lean on and to rest on and to trust in. Epilepsy, it's just the fallen nature. It's our minds out of whack. And we can't wait for the new body, amen? amen. <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> this is Luke's account of it. Listen to this, that the man, the dad came and he cried out. This is a desperate man. This isn't somebody, yeah, hey, no, hey, Lord, could you take notice of my, my son? This is a dad crying out saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son. 
For he is my only son. Dr. Luke tells us that he is the only son to this man. And lo, the spirit takes him, demonic spirit. And suddenly he cries out. It tears him that he foams again, bruising him hardly, and har- uh, bruising him hardly um, departing from him. I besought your disciples to cast them out, but they could not. So the dad comes and gives him uh, some brief history here. Jesus responds to this twofold. There's a verbal response and, of course, a physical response. And the, ver- and the verbal response is somewhat harsh. You know, it's, it's uh, I guess that's the proper word. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when someone responds to you and it's shocking, you know. <laughs> Jeez, well, you know, in my case for you, it's, you know, it's, but he said, he said, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? How long am I going to have to put up with this? Bring him to me. Listen, mom and dad, just a side note. I think it's applicable. Our kids are facing a lot of mountains in their lives. A lot of things that will warp and pervert and just um, corrupt their faith. It is so important that we bring our kids to Jesus. You take them to Jesus. And with that, I just want to add one other note there. And that's Sunday school. See, my fear is Sunday school teaches our kids Bible stories. That is a very huge concern of mine. They're not stories. And we put the flannel flannel graphs up, and there's Noah with these big-headed giraffes and these bears and all. That is not the, the account of the flood. With Noah and the big fish, goldfish coming up and swallowing... That's not the story. The real story was this, that there was a a nation that was totally deprived and wicked and he was sending a prophet. We have to tell these stories like they're actual uh, uh, accounts of something that literally happened. You take your Bible school lessons or your devotions, but God forbid, don't make them look like some kind of Walt Disney story. These happened. There, is, there was a judgment on the face of the earth that annihilated the human race and it's going to happen again. And that's why, because I'll tell you, there's a book out there and I recommend it to every parent and every Sunday school worker, every, any, everyone. And the book is called Already Gone by Ken Ham. I just went through it again. And it's so alarming to me when we lose our kids. We're not losing our kids in the universities under higher criticism. We're, now we are losing our kids in elementary school. Because they're teaching our kids, your kids, in public school, that these were great and cute stories. But you really want to know what happened? And why the earth was so many millions of years old? And and why there couldn't be literal giants on the face of the earth? And why there couldn't? And so they come home, they got them for eight hours. I don't know how long your kids are there. But you get them for a couple hours a night having a devotion with them. And that's it. That's it. Hey, they got the upper hand on you, man. I'm sorry. The world has the upper hand on you. The worst thing we could ever do is try to tell our kids, our Sunday school, that these are just nice little cute stories. They're not stories. There's a judgment coming, a pending judgment, not by water this time, but by fire, thus saith the Lord. We have to tell our kids that. We have to tell them why we believe in creation and why that evolution is only a theory there's no hypothesis that supports the evolution. We have to tell them. I mean, you can't get in their mind and force feed them, but you can tell them, no, there's another option here. Have you ever considered? We have answers in Genesis coming here. I just challenge every one of you when that happens to make sure you're out here for the two days they're doing their lecture. Okay, I got that off my... <laughs> All right. I just, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I, I see kids coming home f- for break and, uh, from college. And they, they say, well, how, we still believe in God, but all the other stuff, we're not too sure about anymore. Really, you're not sure? You're not sure about the flood? No, it probably was just a, a, sort of like a, uh, a uh, folklore. You, know, you don't believe in Jonah was literal? You, you don't? If you don't believe in all the, that, how do you know the resurrection's true then? Because it takes more faith to believe in a resurrection, that we're going to be resurrected, than it does to believe in, you know, that the ark or, or 
So if you can't believe in that, you're definitely not believing in the resurrection. And without the resurrection, you can't say you're going to heaven. See how important all this is? All right. I said I was going to stop and I didn't, did I? All right. Excuse me. Again, there was a brief history there. He calls them faithless and perverse there. Their response in 19, again, a private interview with Jesus, is probably responding to verse 17, no doubt, you know. Then why couldn't we do it, you know? I I think, again, um, the the response from this father in Luke chapter, um, or Mark's account, pardon me, is when the father came, he cried out to the child and he says, listen, I believe, but would you help me in my unbelief? Jesus said to this guy, look, if you just believe, all things are possible. Well, then help me in my, my unbelief. What an honest cry, right? We all walk around like our faith is all that, and I have faith, I can move. But deep down inside, the quietness of our hearts, there are mountains that we face that we go, well, well I'm not too sure about this now, God, but I know you love me. And I, you know you're all powerful and you, and, and you have all authority and, you, and you're all merciful. So I, I have enough of that. So will you help me to believe that this mountain in my life now can be dealt with? Because not all the time, not all, the, all of the time, are mountains removed. That's why we always pray, Lord. The mature believer will always pray. Not my will be done, but yours. Jesus prayed that in the garden, did he not? Not my will, but your will. You know, we, uh, you know sometimes God will answer the, his promises. That's a given. But the direction and the ways that he does it will always be predicated put around his mercy, his power, his love for us. We might say, just move this mountain. But son, if I move that mountain, you're going to get hurt. That's where the mature believer will say, then just give me the strength. Give me the endurance. Help me to face this thing. It's still a mountain being removed in a spiritual way. Again, when they asked this, and I believe privately, I think at first when Jesus said, wicked, perverse, how long am I going to... That the, the atmosphere was shocking. It was to the tone of Jesus' voice was there it was a rebuke let's be honest with each other it was a rebuke not just to the disciples but to the crowd at large how long am i going to be here jesus is shy of 5 months going to the cross he understands this dilemma why couldn't we do it he says in verse 20 well it's because of your unbelief i think there's a mellower if that's a word He's mellowed down. It's more of a gentleness now on the part of Jesus. It's just Jesus and his 12 12 disciples. Lord, how did I blow it? Why did did we blow it? You know, and he just said, well, basically, um, it's because of unbelief. And isn't that true with many of us today? It's really, if we're just honest with us, honest in our hearts, really, it's just because we we just don't believe. Unbelief is one of the enemies. One of the enemies that we face as Christians. When it comes to our prayers and we want our prayers answered, one of the greatest enemy is just unbelief. And the way it cloaks itself sometimes is through the, the, the thought, well, maybe God just doesn't have the ability. Maybe he just doesn't have the ability Maybe he just, that's gone, that's time passed. There are those who embrace a theology today that says all the miraculous stuff, done, gone away. That which is perfect has come, that was Jesus. So when he left, he left with all his power. Now we just have to kind of buckle down and just endure. There's no power. That's a teaching out there. That's one I personally, I'm not going to embrace. I kind of believe that if he is the same yesterday to today, he will be just as faithful, just as powerful tomorrow. Make sense? Man, what a depressing life as a Christian. (laughs) You know, jump off the bridge type mentality. You think about it. 
We're just saved. We just have fire insurance. No. No, man. God has the power to remove every mountain from your life or give you the strength to confront it until he does move it. Make sense, gang? The solution to that, as far as God's ability, is get to know him better. That's why I want to do these promises throughout the year. You know, we'll deal with one subject a month, right? We'll deal with the we'll have the question, and here's the promises that deals with that mountain, and you guys can quote that every time the enemy comes against you. God doesn't care. What do you mean he doesn't care? And you can quote a verse. God won't supply my needs. I just have to bear down and get more. No, it says that the Bible will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And you can just start spilling them out. But my problem is, I'll confess to you, the address sometimes slips my mind. So I'm talking to a brother or sister, and they're in dire needs, and I'm going, yeah, but the Bible says, well, where? How? Show me. Get out the concordance. Where I knew it was in there somewhere. Come on, you got that humongous computer up there, man. Fill that hard drive, amen? Another... Um, enemy we have when it comes to whether God has the ability or not is it's just not is he able or willing it's it's yeah it's willing is he willing to do it and i usually find this to be true those who have that that unbelief and it and it, again it, it's just cloaked in that idea well i just don't think god is willing to do it usually it's because they're walking around with a very condemning attitude. I don't, I'm very careful to say spirit, you know, a condemning spirit. There's, there's Jesus and the devil, and there's not all these spirits. But listen, it's an attitude that one can have in his heart where you doubt his ability, you, you, doubt, you even doubt whether he wants to or not. And usually it's because there's something in your past. Listen up, kids. There's something in your past that Satan throws at you and you begin to think, I'm just not willing. I have blown it so many times. You know, if I can just get into heaven, I'll be satisfied, Har. You know, I know he's all powerful, but is he willing to do it for me? He'll do it for you, Eric. You know, you, you're a pastor. Or he'll do it for Richie. He's a worship leader. He'll do it for Ern because he leads the choir. But not me, man. You don't know my history. Yes, he does know your history. He knows you all too well. And the Bible says, whosoever, it's his will. Whosoever will come to him, he will in no wise cast aside. Folks, I was going to say, he doesn't care about your past. He does. He cares so much, he wants to heal you of it. And he wants you to know that he takes your sin and he casts it as far as the yeast is from the west. He'll throw it into a sea never to be dredged up again. He loves you so much, he wants you to come just as you are. And when you mix just a little bit of mustard seed faith to that all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise all God, then imagine the mountains that will flee out of your life. Imagine. But if you think you've got to be good enough, you're going to always be in that valley learning this lesson. Make sense? The way that we conquer some of those thoughts, you know, does he have the ability? Is he, does he have the willingness that is to get to know him more. That's why I love doing what we're doing. We're studying the life of who? Jesus. The more you get to know him, you become like him. I think to, to, kind of, to, to know him isn't just through intellectual knowledge. And by the way, we are called to know him intellectually. We are to study we are to study to show ourselves approved. The faith comes hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. We are to study our Bibles. But if you say that all I know of him is intellectually, then you don't know him experientially. And I'm telling you right now, I touched on that last week or Wednesday. It's all blur after one day. But anyway, you need to have experiences with the Lord. Imagine Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Talk about an experience. 
where Jesus is metamorphosed right into some of this glorious representation of God and his glory and his splendor. And there, there, talk about a mountaintop experience, but you can't stay up there. You got to come down. You got to endure hardships. How else will we ever trust in him? Or learn that he does have the ability and he does have the willingness. You're not going to experience that truth always on a mountain high experience. You know, the women's retreats or the men's conferences or sight and sounds. You know, man, I went to that. I saw Jesus. My mind was blown. I walked out in the glory. <laughs> it's beautiful. I should have thought, yeah, I'm going to go out. There's going to be a flat tire. <laughs> not that I'm in Eeyore, but you know what I mean. We come down and we face reality. You know what's amazing to me? Jesus started off this section telling his disciples, I am going to be crucified. He ends this section, I am going to be crucified. I think Jesus, in his humanness, had to face the same thing that you and I face today, and that's mountains. Lord, if there's any way to move that mountain... Lord, let it go. Let this cup pass from me, but not your will, my will be done. And it was a cup he had to drink from. Just like you and I, sometimes we have to drink from a cup. We would rather not. But let your will be done. Another lesson that I, I get from here, mentioned in, in uh, 17 again, and just the strong language is faithless perverse, is that a lack of faith, whether it is you, it's a lack of, a faith that you believe he has the ability or a lack of faith where you think he doesn't have the willingness, it does displease him. To be quite frank with you, he don't like it. He didn't like it then and I still today don't think he likes it now. And sometimes I have to tap the brakes when I, when I think, wait a minute, why am I whining? Why am I cl- uh, uh, complaining? And why am I, I got this mountain in front of me, but I know God is with me. It's, he says he'll never leave me, never sis- forsake me. He will be with me until the end, and literally in the Greek, this age, meaning that Jesus is coming. But until then, he'll be with me in the Holy Spirit. So why am I murmuring? Why am I complaining? You see, I think that displeases him. I mean, aren't we that like that way with, as parents? How many, I, I would hear my boys, will you stop whining? Just go do it. You would have been done already. You guys are laughing. It's true. Stop your belly aching. You know, my, my, my pop would say, eat that. There are other people in the world starving to get. And I, I, one time I said until he knocked me off my chair, I said, well, then send it to them. <laughs> Crack. <laughs> We don't like it as earthly parents. Why would we think our Heavenly Father says, oh, I'll ignore it? He doesn't. He loves us to walk in faith. He adores it when we walk in trust, knowing that not only does he have the ability, and it doesn't matter what my past is like, he has the willingness, and he'll meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. And if it's a cup i got to drink from, then let your will be done, Lord. Fill me with your Holy, your Holy Spirit and power. Sorry for the emotions. One of the things that I think that he's really rebuking here too is that they had a history. They had a history. You know, they, they had a history. They had a witness. They saw how faithful God had been, how, how faithful Jesus had been. Healing the the lame and and the blind and Jairus' daughter coming back to life. They they had they saw how faithful God did. Why 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 couldn't they bank on that just for this young child? Not only did they have or saw how faithful Jesus was, but they even had experience. They too at one time were given that power, that exousia to cast out demons. You know, it tells us in Matthew chapter 10, a little earlier than our passage here, it says, when, they had, when he had called the twelve to himself, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. What, are you kidding me? 
These guys at one time in their ministry with Jesus had that exousia, which means authority, had that authority to go in, see somebody demon possessed and says, shut your trap and come out of that person. And they had to flee. And they were rejoicing over it. Listen to this out of Luke. Even so, Lord, the devils were subjected unto us through your name. He said unto them, ah, oh, that's nothing. Behold, say, I beheld Satan when he, was, when he fell from heaven like a light. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, power over the enemies, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Mark's gospel says this, and they went out, preached... The, that all men should repent. And they cast out devils, anointed them with oil, and, and many that were sick, and he healed them. They had experience. Now, why am I bringing that to our attention? Well, we're not too far from that. Yeah, when I was new, and brand new in the Lord, 1973, man, God radically saved me, touched me. 1.45 in the morning, I was sitting in a crazy bedroom with posters all over it, man, Led Zeppelin, black lights. God touched my heart reading a crazy track. Man, that room was illuminated. God's presence came into my, drove every demon out of my life just like that. And man, when I came to the corner to talk to my buddies, I wasn't afraid of anything. Everybody was going to hear about Jesus. You got a cold? Well, I, let's pray about that. I prayed about everything. I don't care if it was, well, I better not go there. There's cat lovers here. I prayed that cat guy would give me love for cats. How's that? Did I bail myself out, Nance? No. Okay. But you know what I mean? When you first come to the Lord, you have that experience with him where you know his spirit comes in and demons just flee. And you're walking in the light as he is in the light and the, the blood of Jesus and cleanses us. And you have these at times. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's a year, two years or five years, you're like the disciples where you, you've lost all faith. You don't think he has the ability or the willingness. And when somebody needs your help, you can't be found. You can't be found. Why couldn't we do it? It's because of unbelief. You stop believing. He doesn't rebuke you with harshness. Perverse and faithless, that that was harsh. But he said that to the crowd. But to to his disciples. Just like he would say it to you and I today. It's just you don't believe like you used to, Harry. There were a time, Harry, where you you had so much faith... You'd be tempted to let go of your steering wheel and just think I was going to drive the car for you. I never did that. But that's the kind of faith I had in Jesus. When I was hitchhiking around the East Coast, man, it was just, look, just show me how to get back home. And I just believed he would show me how to get home. It's just a beautiful relationship I had with him. And then, of course, I started to get wise in my own eyes. I started studying and theology and all this, and, and it just took me away. From that real intimate personal relationship. Many of people are like that today. Maybe even here. You're so wrapped up about what you think the Bible says. That you lose the God of the Bible. Listen. We have a Bible. We have history. Just like the disciples. Don't. Don't fall under that. Don't let that go. Don't forget your testimony. They did, apparently. They did. And if we do, if we find ourselves today in that situation, don't be discouraged. Don't beat yourself up. He wasn't beating themselves up, or beating them up. I think this was a mild, gentle, admonishing them to just get back. Remember the authority I gave you. Remember the power I gave you. I don't. But if, if, we ha- if we are there, you know, I have welcomed the Lord. I have told the Lord in my life, Father, if I need to hear faithless, perverse, crooked, and that's going to shake me out of this, then I'm game. Rebuke me. Admonish me. I don't want to go down this road that's dark, that's crooked. As a Christian, you know, not believing in your ability or your willingness You know, sometimes we just put our faith in things that just should not be the object of our faith. It shouldn't be. The object for our faith should be God, period. Jesus, the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean. Faith is only good as a thing that we put our faith in. 
That story I, I share with you, her, her faith was in her prayer. It wasn't in God. She just thought God would do something if she prayed. It didn't turn out for her. Disappointed. Gave up. Didn't know about faith anymore. We can put our faith in the most silliest things. We really can. You remember the Yugo? How many of you guys remember the car, Yugo? We would go, there you go, boy. There you go, there you go, boy. Yugos. In fact, they're, 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 those cars were so pathetic, you could buy one and get one for free. You use the second one for spare parts. The way they would sell you this car, by the way, and it was like a, a, a beer can on wheels. The way they would sell you this car is that you're good for 100,000 miles. There was not one person that ever reached 100,000 miles. 38,000 best. Well, you had your second one. Silly to put your faith in something like that. Well, that's what people do today. They put their faith in phrases. Back when I first got saved in the 70s, there, there was this phrase going a lot, uh, around. It was from a pretty popular evangelist, and it went like this. You don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. And his radio program would come on. And I remember hearing that one time, and I, had des- I was going through something very desperate. And I knew I had God. I didn't have his faith. So I just thought, okay, all I need is faith. I'll just have enough faith. I'll, I'll, I'll grab the horns of the altar, an old Pentecostal saying, I'll grab the horns of the altar, man, and I'll have the faith, you know. That situation never changed. It's because the object of what I was trusting was faith and not, not God. That's why when... When you leave this place, you're, you're talking to Jesus. You're talking to the Father. You're talking to the Holy Spirit. He is the object of your faith. And faith, it's as a mustard seed. And what does that mean there? Listen, the second time Jesus uses this imagery about a mustard seed. One, he's talking about the abnormal growth of the church. Here he's talking about all you need is the size of something. Just the size. And every one of you here today you have at least a grain, a small size of faith. You put that alongside of an almighty and powerful God. The imagery, you can say to that mountain, be thou removed. You can say to that mountain in your life, whatever it is, be removed. You can command demons to leave your kids alone. You can demand a demon to leave your marriage alone. You can take authority over the sure promises of God. Does that make sense, guys? There are some promises that are in the word of God that we can memorize and and throw them out like the sword of the spirit where you know I am praying and God wants your marriage to be successful. He doesn't want you to live in fornication or sexual sin. He wants you to honor him not only your marriages but the way we raise our kids and the way we, we conduct ourselves at work. That's what brings them glory and honor. And all if you just have this this secret. See, the size of, and alongside of a powerful God, you'll be able to have that mountain removed. Amen, guys. That's got to be exciting to you. All right, I got it. Richie, if you'll make your way out of here. You know, there are cases that sometimes those mountains are larger than we, we expect we think or expect. There are times when you face a difficult situation and then when you just start to look at it, you go, whoa, what a huge mountain. I remember I was traveling in in Nepal. I had my son Harrison, the son of Harry. And we got into this aircraft and it was called either Air Buddha or Buddha Air. When I, that, that, don't get in that. That's not good. It's a prop plane. 
And it took him a while to start it up. And I'm thinking, do I want to get in this plane? But we were flying to the other end of Nepal to start a medical clinic. But we had to fly past Everest. I'm not a pilot. I've never flown anything but a modeled airplane once, and I crashed that. But this guy, as we were getting close to Everest, I noticed that he started turning the plane because of the wind, the direction of wind, where literally the aircraft was going sideways. So we're looking out the side window going straight ahead, and I'm looking out the cockpit at Mount Everest. What a huge mountain. When you're up close to that, it's just, man, you just, you look at that thing and you, why on earth would anybody want to climb it? And some mountains are like that. They're so huge. To this, this man, the mountain in his life was huge. It was his kid who had epilepsy. And the demons took advantage of that. And the demons were trying to destroy him. The man understood, I got faith, but not enough for this thing. Help me in my unbelief. This mountain is huge. And I think that's why Jesus said, okay, if you have the faith, like a seed, you'll be able to say to a normal mountain, go. How bit this kind, in verse 21. This kind, this kind of demon, you might want to think about praying and fasting about it. There are things in our lives, guys, as Christians, we might have to tap the brakes, really, you know, take a look at this mountain and go, that's something I'm going to really have to pray and fast about. I think it's very healthy if you can do it physically. If you can't, you check with your doctor. But fasting is a a great practice in a believer's life. It teaches you to kind of deny yourself and your and your passions, and it helps you deny the physical urges, and it just, after a day or so, you just focus on God and His Spirit, and then you're able to pray against the things that are coming before you. So I think that's what's going on here, guys. This teaching isn't about demonology. A lot of people like to get around that. Let's talk about demons. Now, you know what? I'm not a demon wrestler. I'm a God lover. And some people, they get so fixated on demons and devils and being delivered. And not, Listen, are you, if you're saved, raise your hand. If you're born again, not just, okay. You've been delivered. Why talk about it? Right? He delivers. And he is delivering. He's always delivering you. It's because of the precious blood of Jesus. Someone close to me always says, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It's been won. But man, the enemy knows how to throw mountains in our lives. And so we combat that sometimes through prayer, intercessory, which is a little different than just general prayer. That's usually done in your prayer closet. And you combat that thing with the power, the authority of Jesus. Give me a fat amen. Amen. All right, let's stand.